your Bibles now with me, please, to the book of Galatians. Um, we're going to begin to work our way now through that uh, letter from Paul to uh, the churches of Galatia. And Galatians is a book that ha has rocked the world, uh, particularly in the time of the Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther uh, looked on the book of Galatians as kind of his key in understanding the grace of God. And he held on to a title, he even said it was like his wife to him. That's how close he felt to the book of Galatians and its, its special uh, revelation and understanding of how salvation comes by grace through faith and not by works of our own. A, a big theme, really, of the book is the idea of being free. Or freedom. And, and we hear a lot about freedom in our world today, don't we? Um, but I don't think very many people really even have any idea what freedom is. That's one of, one of Paul's goals in the book of Galatians is to help the people of that, those churches understand what it truly means to be free. Because uh, even as people, we, we're called a people, you know, who are supposed to be free, Right? And yet we have a tendency as Americans, but I think just as sinners in general, we have a tendency to put ourselves voluntarily under slavery. And that's what, what Paul was dealing with in Galatia, was people were being urged to put themselves under a kind of slavery. And he's saying, no, no, live in the freedom of Christ. So let's begin just by getting a little bit familiar with, since this is a letter, uh, let's start with who it was written to, and uh, it begins by saying that it's written to, in verse 2 of Galatians chapter 1, to the churches, plural, of Galatia. Now most of Paul's books were written to the church in a particular city, even though some of them actually were circular letters that were, were sent to many cities, he usually wrote to the church in a particular city. Uh, in this case, it's the churches of Galatia because Galatia is not a city, but in fact, it's a region. And uh, Anna, did you find my, my slide? Sorry, I forgot about my, my slide. I wanted to go along with this until just a couple minutes ago. So if you go ahead and put that up, we can get a, a picture here. Um, you know, this is what is today modern Turkey. Well, it looks like the laser's dead, so you'll have to figure this out without me pointing. Um, but uh, you may remember that uh, when Julian, a few of you re might remember, when Julian and I lived in Turkey, uh, we lived in this area, and, and our newsletter, our, our missionary prayer letter, was called the Galatian Gazette, and that's because we lived in, in what was then Galatia. So if you go straight up above Iconium, uh, that's where Ankara, Turkey was, where we lived, and that's part of this, this region known as Galatia, and again, not a city, but a Ro Roman province in Paul's time. Um, originally, the area in the northern part of that uh, province was, was settled by a Celtic people known as the Gauls. So Gaul-Asia, Galatia, okay? And so uh, they kind of spread out over Europe, and I think probably the Romans had a bit to do with the fact that they, they moved to the east um, as far as the... Uh, the wars and things that went on, but it, the area was incorporated into the Roman Empire at about 25 A.D., 
and it really more incorporated the northern part of that, but then they added territory to the south. And that's where Paul's involvement in Galatia comes in. Because if you're familiar, and, and it wasn't terribly long ago, we, I was preaching through the book of Acts, chapter 13 and 14, you're familiar with Paul's missionary journey, uh, his first missionary journey, in which he, was, he and Barnabas were called uh, out from the church at Antioch in Syria uh, to go and to take the gospel then to people further away. And as, if you remember, you, know, you can see the lines there. If you see the, uh, uh, the blue line going out from Antioch there on the right, uh, they sailed over to Cyprus and up into Pamphylia. But then the first dot there in, in the, the green area of Galatia is Antioch of Pisidia. Then they went to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Those are all cities where they would go in. And, and the, the practice that Paul developed there, he continued to use for really most of his missionary work when he went into a new area, he would first go to the synagogue and he would address the Jewish people who were already familiar with God's scriptures, with the Old Testament writings. And he would tell them about the Messiah who was, who was prophesied to come. And then he would share the fact that the Messiah, in fact, had come and his name was Jesus and he had died for their sins. He had come to bring salvation and typically, he would have a few weeks, maybe several weeks at best, but in, in the Jewish synagogue. Uh, but then he would also spend time in, in public areas preaching to both Jews and Gentiles. And, and pretty soon, the, the Jewish leaders would get jealous and would kick him out of the synagogue. And then he would continue to take the gospel to the general population. And so in these cities of Galatia, churches were established that were made up as God had designed of both Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Messiah. And so uh, Paul got them established. God has, you know, kind of made his loop down to Derby, And then when they got to that point, they said, well, let's go back and strengthen and encourage, made a loop back through each of those cities and returned uh, to their home base in Antioch of Syria, and that's how those churches got their start and their beginning. And so a very, very brief amount of time that Paul actually spent in those cities. And that's one of the reasons he would go to the synagogues first, because he would go to people who already were familiar with the scriptures they already had and the scriptures that told about the coming of the Messiah. And so they've done that, and I believe when we consider... Um, how this letter came about, really what happens to, to spark Paul to write this letter is if you jump down in chapter 1 a little bit to verse 7, um, he's wondering why they're wandering, they're going away from the things that he's taught, and he says, which, uh, I better read verse 6 really, we don't want to start in the middle of the sentence. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God, for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And that's why Paul wrote this letter, is because there were false teachers who came in, who followed or went around to the places Paul and Barnabas had gone to, 
And he said they wanted to distort the gospel of Christ. And the Greek word that's translated distort there means to turn something into something of the opposite character. And did you hear how he, he talked about, I'm, I'm surprised how quickly you've left or if you, you've turned to another gospel. He says, which is really not another. Because you can't have gospel. Of course, gospel means good news, right? Paul came in and he said, here's the good news. The good news is that you can entrust yourself to Jesus. You can believe in Jesus, the Messiah, and be forgiven of your sins, be given the gift of eternal life, have a new life united with him together. That's a gift, a free gift from him. But he had people coming in, and they were teaching things like, you need to, first, especially if Gentiles, you need to, if you want to be saved, first go through the same door that the Jewish people did. You need to obey the law of the Hebrew Scriptures. You need men to be circumcised first. You need to follow the laws and customs in the law that God gave to the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. And they were bringing on them all of these things, all of these additional requirements. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do in order to be saved. And, if, and to prove that you're saved, you have, to keep do, you, know, you have to keep on doing these things. And they were upsetting. They were disturbing the people of these churches in Galatia. And they were actually turning the good news into bad news. Because what it was is here is now this burden. Here's the burden. Here's what you have to do if you want to be right with God. Here's what you have to accomplish. There is what you must be faithful in in order to be right with God. And the good news that Paul and Barnabas had come to bring, they wanted to distort, turn it into something that it was not. Bad news that you now have a burden on you to accomplish these things in order to be right with God. That's not good news, right? Because how much is enough? Are you able to, to keep the law? Those are some of the things that Paul is going to have to address in here. Oh, if you're going to keep the law, how much of it do you have to keep? How good at keeping the law do you have to be? Where's, where's the line? Now, this is not good news, but in fact bad news. It's going to show simply that they were sinners. It's just the opposite of what Jesus desired to do in rescuing a people from this world's evil system. Now, the timing of this, I believe that, that uh, Paul wrote this letter not long after he had gone to these churches in Galatia. Um, in chapter 15 of Acts, you may remember that there were a group of, of people who came from Jerusalem down to, or up to north to Antioch, they always say down from Jerusalem because everything is down from Jerusalem in a Jewish mind, right? Uh, but uh, they came from Jerusalem and began teaching the church at Antioch that it was necessary, kind of the same kind of thing, that the Jewish men needed to be circumcised, that they needed to follow the dietary laws and the, and the rules of the Old Testament in order to be saved. And, and there was a controversy there between Barnabas and Paul and those who came down. And, and so they went back to Jerusalem. They consulted with the apostles and the leaders of the, of the Jerusalem church. 
And they came to a decision that no, Gentiles don't need to do these things in order to be saved. They are saved just like we are, by grace. And so there was an official church decision of, of the apostles, who of course had been taught by Jesus, were appointed by Jesus and sent by Jesus on this issue. But interestingly, when Paul writes this, this letter to Galatia, he doesn't mention that at all. Since they're dealing with the same issues, it's very strange that Paul wouldn't say or tell, especially because he, he, he relates a lot of things that have happened to him personally. It's, it's hard to believe that he wouldn't include what happens in that, what's come to be known as the Jerusalem Council in his letter if it had, if it had already happened. In fact, when you get to Acts chapter 16, you find out that the results of that decision are why Paul and Barnabas start talking about taking another trip and going back and visiting these churches in Galatia. And Paul eventually does, not with Barnabas, but with Silas, go back through there and then on to other parts um, of the region. And so I believe that Paul got this report not very long after he'd left the region of Galatia. And it just broke his heart that these people who had, had received the, the gospel that he told them, had believed in Jesus, had, had come to faith, were now being, being led astray, now being told that, no, no, this is all about what you do, not about what Christ has done. And so I believe that that's at that point that he right away sat down and began writing this letter help correct that so that they would not be brought under bondage to this system of twisting God's Old Testament laws and decrees that were given to Israel and turning them into a way basically to enslave people who had become free in Christ. And so that would have put the writing of this letter at about A.D. Uh, 48, which would make it probably the earliest of Paul's letters that we still have in existence. He may have written other letters before this, but of the letters that we find in our, our scriptures, Galatians would have been the earliest one written. And I think that's really the idea, is he wanted to get word to them right away, and it, wasn't, it probably was really preparing him even for what happened that's recorded in Acts chapter 15, for the coming of the false teachers from Jerusalem. And the going back to, to Jerusalem and having this whole discussion about well, how are especially Gentiles saved? Do they first have to become Jewish? Do they have to keep the law and then receive salvation? <clears throat> and so the urgency of this letter is reflected in the fact that it really is, is very pointed in how the greeting, the beginning of the letter is. So if you just follow along with me, I'll read, as I read verses 1 through 5 of Galatians, and it says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Now one of the things, if you look at then what Paul wrote later, the letters that he wrote later on, 
one of the things that you notice right off is what's not here. In the letters that Paul would write later, he would kind of keep the, uh, the custom of saying something positive about the people you're writing to, something you're thankful for, something you remember about them. And you notice that Paul especially starts his letters by giving thanks for the people in the church that he's writing to. Even when he wrote to the, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, you know, they had lots of problems. It was probably sometimes difficult for Paul to, to remember to be thankful for this church because they, they caused him a lot of heartache and trouble. But the letter to the 1 Corinthians, he starts right off, I thank God for you. Notice in this letter to the Galatians, he doesn't, doesn't say anything like that. He just jumps in, Paul, and immediately goes to an apostle. He starts to, to deal with the things that had been told by the false teachers. He's so focused on the need at hand that he skips those niceties and jumps right into it. And so he starts on by saying, Paul, and in the, the, the second and third word of the letter, he's dealing with problems that, that are, ha are happening because of the false teaching. He defines himself as an apostle, as a sent one. That, that word that Jesus gave to the twelve, he said, I'm going to send you out as apostles. And in order for the false teachers to gain or to, to be believed, they have to discredit Paul who came to them in the first place. Because Paul clearly taught that to be forgiven of your sins, to have the gift of eternal life, it's a free gift that you receive from Christ. So if they're, they're going to bring this message of this is what you have to do in order to be received by God, First, they have to discredit the previous messenger. And Paul, claiming to be an apostle of Jesus, is something they discredit. They said, no, Paul, well, he's not one of the twelve. Paul, he's he just self-appointed. Paul, he, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. He didn't walk with Jesus for three years. But we came from Jerusalem, and we know But Paul clearly here doesn't just say, I am an apostle, but he jumps right in and says, not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He makes very clear, I only take this, this title or this role of apostle because Jesus specifically intended me to have it and made me a sent out one, an apostle. So in it's interesting that he's saying that there wasn't an individual or a group of people who decided that Paul should be an apostle. And he'll give lots of detail on this as we go through, both relating stories of things that happened to him um, and, and, other, and other ways. But he wants to make it clear he didn't appoint himself. No other apostle chose him. And the group of the, the apostles, the, the 11 or, or the 12, if you count Matthias, that they added after the resurrection, they didn't get together and say, oh, well, Paul should also be an apostle. Which, by the way, should make us question groups who say, oh, well, this person is a successor to that apostle. Or there's a succession of apostles down through the line because this group of men said so. We need to stop and wonder about that. Paul claims, no, it was Jesus Christ himself who made me an apostle. His, his, his 
appointment was independent of men. You say, well, well that sounds kind of odd. And in fact, it was, in a sense, uh, because it happened outside of what Jesus did. Jesus, you know, while he was prior to his crucifixion, so you can get the words out here, uh, you know, had the group of 12, you know, that he, he designated as apostles. But Jesus, once he had resurrected, was still active, wasn't he? In fact, Paul gives some testimony to that in the book of Acts. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 26, we have one of, one of the accounts of Paul's conversion. Remember, Paul had been known as Saul you know, by his Jewish name, primarily up to that point, and was persecuting people who said they believed in Jesus as Savior. He thought that they were the heretics, and he was out to arrest them and, he, and even kill them if he could. And uh, you know, when he went to Damascus, he got papers and, and was able to go to Damascus to pursue believers in Jesus there. You remember that, that he was stopped in his tracks by an appearance of Jesus. A bright light forced him to the ground. And in Acts 26, verses 14 through 18, we hear words that Jesus told him we don't get in Acts chapter 9, the account, or in the other places where Paul gives his testimony. But here, speaking to King Agrippa while, while Paul was on trial, gives us details that we don't hear elsewhere. And it says, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, that's all familiar from Acts chapter 9 and, and the other accounts of Paul's conversion, right? But then we go on to verse 16. It says, get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you rescuing you from the Jewish people, from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified, how? By faith in me. So here, right from the very beginning, Jesus directly told Paul that he was going to appoint him to this position. And in fact, when he says, uh, he's going, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, he uses basically the verb form of the word apostle. Apostle is just the, the noun form of the word he uses here when he says, I am sending you. So in fact, yes, Paul was a sent one from Jesus Christ and specifically to reach Gentiles. Though he would always take the gospel first to the Jews who were in that area, he would then always then take it as well to the Gentiles. And so Paul is an apostle with the authority of Jesus because Jesus specifically singled him out and sent him with truth and, no, and it didn't come from any other place. Notice that he said, I'm sending you not just with the things that you have seen, but with the things which you shall see that I will be in. 
In other words, he was going to get further revelation from Jesus, and he knew that right from that first time when Jesus appeared to him. And Paul, in the book of Galatians, will go ahead and further detail how some of that happened. He wasn't just a self-appointed apostle. In fact, he had the one authority that truly mattered, and that was Jesus. Jesus Christ, or Jesus Messiah, and God the Father. The Father sent Paul to be an apostle, he says. The Father and Son were in complete agreement and acted with divine authority in making him an apostle. And so this also, by the way, emphasizes Jesus' deity and the role of the Father in raising Jesus from the dead shows that Paul's ministry is really just a, a, in complete agreement with what happened in the resurrection and is just a natural outflow of what happened in Jesus being raised from the dead. It's, an, it's just God's eternal plan unfolding step by step along the way. Paul says, me becoming an apostle, that was all in God's plan from before the foundation of the world. And then in the rest of this, this beginnings of, of Galatians, in verses 3 through 5 especially, <clears throat> he gives a, a summary of some key truths right off the bat, not really getting into lots of, of greetings or, or things specific to the church, but he, he go, the churches he's writing to, but here are some things that he says, here are some things I just write off I have to talk about. These are things that you need to know. And he says, grace is to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in all of his, his later letters, he, he will have similar things. But one of the, something I want to point out here is he jumps right into the fact that the need of the churches of Galatia was they needed grace. In other words, they needed to be reliant on God for everything. And so he, he, he prays for them to have that grace, gift, gifts from God to sustain them. And that they would understand that's where life really is, is when God grants you his blessings. When God grants you then his peace. I mean, look at this world around us. Isn't that what people really need? Is to be dependent on God and, and receiving from God all that they need. But also they have his peace. They're not pulled in every which direction. They're not consumed by worry. They're not dominated by fear, but in fact, trusting themselves to God, they have the peace of God, confident that he is caring for them and leading them through life. So he, wish, he, he, he prays for them to have God's grace and peace, but notice specifically that he says it's from God our Father and the Lord, Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus Messiah, the Anointed One. And it's interesting that we repeat again these two acting together, Jesus Christ and God the Father. It should settle in the minds of the Galatian believers the place that Jesus has as God. He is God the Son. He's not just a man, but he acts in, a, in complete concert with the Father. Uh, the sources of these two essentials of life match well to those kind of greetings that were given in that day. First, grace by, by Gentiles and peace or shalom by Jews. But there's 
great meaning. Paul wasn't just throwing words in there out of, out of propriety. Now he was saying, you need this, and you need it from the triune God, God the Father and God the Son. This, of course, the Spirit being uh, implied and, and brought in and understood later, but he's especially focusing on the deity of Jesus. And then he goes on to say about Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Emphasizes that Jesus gave himself to rescue us. He didn't give his life in the hope that we might imitate him and somehow become good enough to have a right relationship with God. He gave himself in the ultimate sacrifice to do what we could never do ourselves. And that, in paying for our sin, is what is needed to take us out of this evil world system that dominates those who are not forgiven. Without Christ, without his forgiveness, we live in a world system that Satan organizes. The Satan tries to dominate humanity and manipulates people in order to do that. God, out of his great love for us, sent his son and Jesus came willingly to give himself for, it says here, for our sins or because of our sins in place of us because we're sinners, right? In order to rescue or actually draw us out of this present evil age. He wants us to have an out that we are no longer dominated by this, the way things are run in this world. That we're no longer told this is how you have to live because you're a part of a system, right? Not just our political system, but the worldwide system that, that dominates us because of sin in the world. He wants us to be able to be out of that, out of its control, and to live in the freedom of knowing him. Live in the freedom of being his children. In fact, uh, W. E. Vine puts it this way, the words may be paraphrased, he, or who gave himself for our sins in order that he might deliver us out of the present evil age so that we might belong to him. So it's not just to get us out of a bad spot, but in fact, he wants us to be his own, to have that intimate relationship with him, to live life as he designed it. And if Jesus came and just said, oh, just watch what I do and you do it and maybe you'll get out. Well, if that's the case, Jesus really died for nothing. Because it's still back on us, right? None of us would do it well enough. None of us would do it good enough. And also notice that here he has again the Father and the Son working in complete union in our rescue. Again, he brings up that it's according to the will of our God and Father. And ultimately, he tells us in verse, verse 5, to whom be glory forevermore, amen. This is ultimately about showing the greatness, the awesomeness of God. You know, we saw, saw a couple of weeks ago when we talked about that, right? Our, or last week, I guess, about our purpose statement. What ultimately is our purpose? Why, are, why do we exist as a church? Well, first and foremost, to give glory 
to God. And that's what Paul's telling them here. Here the point is, you show what an amazing God you worship. Well, if, you're, if you are earning your salvation, well, it's really about how great you did at, at keeping the laws, right? How good it was that you could, you know, eat all the right things, that you could do all the right things at the right time, that you could go down the list, right? Now, this is not about you and what you can do. This is about what an amazing, loving God we have who sent his own son in our place to die and do for us what we could never do on our own. That he did at the ultimate, the greatest cost to himself out of love. Now, we benefit infinitely, yes, but that's just a benefit from what comes ultimately, the glory of God being demonstrated and recognized. And so as Paul starts this letter off, he gets down to business right away, doesn't he? He hits key issues, and everything else that flows out is, is going to touch back on the truth that he lays out in the beginning. And so dis- and, and, and he writes a personal letter here. And despite the, the lack of thanks in the letter for the Galatians at the start, Paul is actually very personal in this letter. He speaks more about himself and the things that God has done in his life and the experiences he's had than in any of his other letters. Over and over, he uses the word I and me and my. It's it's really unique among his epistles. His personal experience matters because if his message is true, then it has to have been the things that God did in his life and the ways that God used him before he came to the Galatians. And so Paul cares. He's writing in the way that will do the best, or the most good for the churches of Galatia. And ultimately, he has a message that's very simple. Be free in Christ. Paul knew what it meant to be the slave of religious rules and regulations. That was his life as a Pharisee. He had lived all his life submitting himself to to not just Old Testament law, but piles and piles of tradition that the Pharisaic way of life had put on him. Do this, don't do that, keep a record, be be perfect in front of other people, right? Because it was an outward form of righteousness. It wasn't the righteousness of his heart. He was still deeply a sinner, and called himself the chief of sinners. Traditions and seeking to be declared righteous because of his works, that had once ruled Paul's life. He'd been a slave to it. And yet he was transformed by Jesus. And he had nearly died taking the message of salvation as a gift from Jesus to these people that he's now making this passionate plea to. Don't listen to the false teaching, he's going to say. Don't desert Christ. Don't be foolish. These are all things that are coming up. Don't desert Christ. Don't be foolish. Don't be cursed. Don't be a prisoner. Don't be a slave. Instead, be free. Be free as children of God who can live joyfully and serve him serve others. There is where you will find true freedom. That's what we have to look forward to in 
book of Galatians. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for recording these words, being faithful to, to preserve them down through all these centuries for us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit to, who directs us and helps us to understand. We thank you for the fact that we can, even now after all these, these centuries since Paul wrote, freely receive the gift of salvation, freely uh, live in Christ, and, and freely be, be your children, and, and not live according to our own wants and desires, but in fact live a free life of, of being who you designed us to be, not just originally when you created Adam, but who you made us to be new in Christ Jesus when we believed. Lord, help us to to not fall back into our old slaveries. Help us to see in the words of Galatians as we move ahead uh, that true freedom is found in you. It's found through Jesus, our Messiah and our Lord. And help us to understand more fully and completely what that means. We ask in his precious name.